That's what we're talking about in this new series, Letters from Home. Again, I'm Dion. Welcome to you in the room. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. This uh, message today is entitled, Dear Picture Perfect. And uh, we called it that because of all of the ladies in the room, moms or not, you're picture perfect to us. Come on, I get some points for that, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Like two people like that, thank you. Um, uh, so, Dear Picture Perfect, it's a, it's a series that's, that's really just digging into the lost art of letter writing. Because, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to communicate with someone and they were not sitting in your living room face to face, the only other opportunity you had to communicate with them was to write them a letter. That's how it used to be, right? Well, nowadays, there are all kinds of other ways to communicate with people who are far away. You can just prop up your iPhone and you can be having a face-to-face conversation with someone who's on the other side of the world. So we have all of these other amazing options, and yet letters are still powerful, they're still useful, and there are some times when only a letter will do. Uh, back in 1997, so it was some time ago, 1997, I was in college, and the summer of 1997, I had just begun working at a camp in in, in Angola, New York, Angola, New York, just south of Buffalo, kind of rural area. And I was working there for a summer as a college student. And uh, right before I went to, to go off to camp for the summer to work, I'd already made the decision to go. Right before I had left, just a couple of weeks before, I had met a girl. I kind of knew her already, but we had, we had started talking or dating or I, I wasn't really sure what it was. But I knew I liked her and that I was going off to camp for about 12 weeks and I wouldn't see her. And so that was kind of a, a nerve-wracking thing. Uh, back in those days in 1997, just to get your mind right about what that was if you didn't live there uh, in that time period, um, we, we had email, but we didn't have anything like Wi-Fi, and email was kind of hard to come by. You actually had to plug your computer into a phone line, and then it would make all of these weird, and I, some of you don't even know what a phone line is, so I just <laughs> blew your mind. You're like, my kids think that phones with cords are really fancy and cool, um, so they've never seen those before. Um, so uh, you plug it into a phone, phone jack and, and make all these noises, and, and it was so slow. It was so slow. It would take you like 20 minutes to download a picture. It was so slow, and yet it was novel, so we used it. Um, but at camp, I couldn't use it. We didn't have phone lines. We didn't have uh, the opportunity to even do dial-up or anything like that, so it didn't work. We didn't have email. Back in those days, there were cell phones, but again, those weren't very popular. They were expensive. Um, Not just the phones themselves, but the plans were expensive. Back in 1997, if you had a cell phone and someone called you on the cell phone, you had to make a decision. Were you going to answer that call or were you going to eat that day? Because it was like $2 a minute. I mean, it was, it was an expensive call to answer. So you're just like, no, I'm not paying for that. No one's, no one's uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking to that person. That costs way too much money. So cell phones were not an option. So um, I was just a, a week into camp, and I had to make a decision. There was this girl back home that I really liked, and I had to make a decision. Was I going to stay in touch with her? Or was I going to hope that we could pick things up uh, when I got back to, uh, to school in the fall? And so we did what only we could. I, I, we began to write letters to each other. And every day we wrote letters. In fact, I I did some digging this week. Actually, my wife did. And she found a stack, and this is just a small stack of letters. There's a much bigger stack at home on the kitchen counter right now of letters that I wrote to her while I was at camp. Every day I wrote her a letter. Um, She wrote me letters every day, too. I don't know where they are. It's because I'm a man. Um, (laughs) 
so, uh, so every day we wrote letters uh, to each other. Um, but I, I look back, and I just want to share this with you, because it started with a couple of, of letters in particular. I'm not going to go too, too deep into this, but um, a couple of actual letters that I wrote to her. This, I found the first letter that I wrote to her that summer. And our relationship was in that awkward place, again, where I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know how interested she was in me. We'd only been kind of seeing each other for a couple of weeks, and then I was off to camp. And so I wrote her a letter. It was on June 6th. I'd been at camp for about a week, and, you know, I was biding my time. Being like, well, I can't be too eager. I can't write her right away. About a week maybe is, is about the right amount of time. And, and I'll just kind of write her casually. But <laughs> it's kind of funny as I read through this. I was definitely fishing. You know, I'm like dropping, dropping bait to see if she'll bite every once in a while. Um, whatever. I'll just read some of it to you. So uh, June 6th, uh, Jocelyn. Hey, baby. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I say, just writing you on this paper, since it's all I could find, it's expensive AAL stuff. I don't know if any of you have been Lutheran for a long time. Um, you know, an organization used to call AAL, they gave away cups and paper. That's all they did, I think. I think they actually sold insurance, but um, they gave away paper and cups. Um, so uh, you should feel pretty special. Camp is pretty cool. I'm to the point now where I know everyone, and most everyone is pretty cool. The scary thing is, though, that many people are already getting on my nerves so that isn't a bonus. And if you know me, you're not surprised that it would only take a week for people to get on my nerves. Um, so we've, we've been so busy between staff training and cleaning up the grounds, i.e. scraping and painting, etc. My allergies have been pretty manageable, uh, but they work on me. Well, just in case you are wondering, I really miss you. It's sad to think that I won't get to see you for a while. I miss your smiles and stuff. I remember being way more mature and articulate at 20 than I guess I actually was. Um, I'm afraid that by the time camp is over, I'm going to be so ready to come home that I'll never want to come back. I don't know if I was planning to go back or what, uh, but who knows. Uh, I go on, I'll say a bunch of just random stuff. I finally get around to, uh, you just keep me in your prayers about this whole camp thing. I'm nervous. And of course, pray for us and our relationship, question mark? <laughs> or at least our friendship, Whatever it is, smiley, uh, I like it. Whatever it is, so that's cool for me. Uh, well, darling, <laughs> Just trying to see how she reacts, you know. Well, darling, got to go to more training stuff now. Hope to hear from you soon. Don't lose this address. Remember, I miss you, XOXO, Dion. And then at the bottom, I go, look here. Don't lose this, my address at camp. Like, in other words, you know, write me back. So that was the first letter. And surprisingly, after that letter, she did write me back. She, uh, she wrote me back, and um, we began this pattern of writing every day. I thought it'd be fun just to share with you, and again, I won't make too much of this, but one other letter that I sent about a month later, and you can see how this whole thing had progressed. Uh, this letter is dated July 7th, and um, I say, Jocelyn, I got your July 2nd letter today. I was so pleased I almost went to call you, but I remembered that today was Monday, and I couldn't call you, and then I was sad. Um, but I reread your letter, and I was so happy. <laughs> so articulate. Um, then I, later on, I, I, actually, I actually go on this big talk about my ex-girlfriend. I have no idea why I'd include that in a letter. <laughs> Bad, bad idea. Um, so I, I finally, Jocelyn, I find it so amazing that you wait for my letters because I l so look forward to getting yours. Everyone always teases me because I ask and ask about if the mail has come yet. And when it does, everyone always asks, did you get a letter from Jocelyn? 
the lady in the office, well, one of them, always says that I get too much mail. She says that one day she's just going to not give it to me and save it up and see how much I get in a week. And I'll just tell you, I would have hurt her if she would have tried it. I was addicted to these letters. Um, and then I go, it's so funny. Um, I live for your letters, and I'm glad you like getting mine. That's why I write them. And uh, so every day we continued this pattern of letter writing. It got kind of confusing at times because our letters would cross each other in the mail. And it, we asked each other questions and answer them and have to wait for days in between. This was 18 years ago, by the way. That was half of Jocelyn's lifespan that, uh, ago that we've been together. Much more than half my lifespan because I am much younger than she is. Um, Maybe not. Um, but, you know, every day we wrote letters. And, and for me, I look back in these letters and I just had fun reading them this week. And uh, as, as inane as they were, and just, you know, gosh, um, I really do believe, and so does she, that if it weren't for those letters, we probably would not still be together. That what those letters did for us is that they slowed us down. We had a history of going, like, way too fast in relationships and getting serious too soon and putting way too much weight on relationships early on. And, and these letters just kind of slowed us down. And they gave us an opportunity to get to know each other, the deeper parts of each other, to know more about each other, to get to see into each other's hearts. It was really powerful for us. See, I think this is what letters do. And I think this is why they are still valuable, even in our age with so many different options. Um, They aren't only a means to communicate. I, I think they're really helpful because they have the power to reveal the content of the heart. They have the power to slow us down. And there are some situations where only letters will do. In fact, I bet that you still write letters occasionally, don't you, in in some circumstances. Maybe it's um, a love letter or a thank you note. Maybe you write letters to your kids at camp because they don't have uh, their their normal forms of communication. But, But I bet there are also times in life where you sit down to write a letter because there is something going on in your life or another person's life that is so serious that is so important, it is so high stakes, that you cannot risk having a face-to-face conversation with all of the different variables that might happen in a face-to-face conversation. And the only thing that, that we'll do is sitting down to write a letter. Have you ever had one of those letters? Have you ever written one of those letters where you have to sit down and, and you're writing about something that's so important, so high stakes, that you, you just can't risk a conversation? You're like, I, I've, got, I've got to think this through. I've got to write it down to make sure my words are right. Well, if you have, if you've ever written one of those kind of letters, and I know you have, you know how it feels. You're not even having the conversation yet, and and yet your heart is beating in your chest, and maybe your hand is is shaking, and you're thinking deliberately about every word that you write before you write it down, because you know a lot is at stake. When I think about those kinds of letters, I, I think about a letter I wrote a couple of years ago to someone I loved who was getting ready to walk away from their marriage. And uh, I, I, just, I just felt like I had to say something, but I did not want to have a face-to-face conversation because I was afraid my emotions would, would get away with me or that my tone would be wrong or that the person would think that I was judging them, which I was not about judging them. But at the same time, I, I just felt that I needed to point out to them that I thought they were making a huge mistake, that they were walking into something that they, there were unforeseen circumstances and, and unforeseen pain and hardship that was coming along the way, and I just felt like I had to say something. And if you've ever written one of those letters, you know how hard it is to write those. Not fun at all. Sometimes only a letter will do. Now in this series uh, we're, that we're starting today, it's, it's all about a letter. It's a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a group of Christians, a group of churches in a whole region called Galatia. It's now a part of the Bible. We call it the book of Galatians. But it really, it was a letter that Paul wrote to these Christians 
And uh, it's a high-stakes letter. It's one of these letters that couldn't, you know, couldn't wait for a visit. He had to say some stuff. You're going to see that in just a minute. But I want, I want to tell you just briefly about this letter. This letter is one of the oldest letters that we have that Paul wrote. It's one of the oldest letters from Paul that we have on record today. Um, which means it's one of the earliest books of the New Testament, which is kind of cool. Not only that, but in the series we're going to track along through this letter, not looking at every word, but looking at big portions of it. And so for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever worked through an entire book of the Bible, which I think is really exciting, and Galatians is a great book for that. I, I challenge you to pick up a Growing Deeper on the way out. Um, that's our message study. Um, or make sure you get it from our website. You can download it or sign up for our daily emails. Because through the Growing Deeper, you'll get to work through this entire book of the Bible, which I think is, is just really, really, really great. Now, this letter that we're going to look at today, the beginning of it, it starts in the usual way. Paul starts off, and, and he greets them, and he says, hey, it's me, Paul, and I'm writing to you. He addresses his audience. He speaks a word of blessing over them. May God bless you, he says. And then he jumps right in, because this is high stakes. He, he can't waste time. He can't mince words here. So this is what he says, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So I'm astonished that you're turning to a different gospel, he says. He goes on. He says, and that gospel that you're turning to, it's really no gospel at all. I'll define this maybe a little bit more in a minute. He says, evidently, some people out there are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even if I, Paul, or or any of my, my cronies, even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Can you tell that Paul is mad here? He's frustrated. He's feeling urgency. He's panicked. This is high-stakes stuff. Now, maybe for you this seems a little weird. You're like, what, what is he mad about? Is he just mad that some other preacher is creeping in on his turf? Is this like, you know, pastor wars or something? No, this isn't actually about ego at all. Uh, Paul sees that there is a danger in what the Galatian Christians are are hearing from these other speakers. And and he's got to speak out. He's got to set it right. This is not about ego for him. In fact, I want you to see what he says next about all this. He says, in case you think this is about ego, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or, or of God? Am I trying to please people? You think I'm just trying to please people? No way. He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, now, since he brought it up, can I just ask you, are there any of us here today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but are, any, are there any of us here today who, who find ourselves occasionally struggling with people-pleasing? Or, or do any of us in this place ever struggle, or even watching online, do, do we struggle with trying too hard to win the approval of others? Come on, you know what I mean, don't you? I mean, have you ever not said something that needs to be said, that should be said, because you were afraid of what the other person's reaction would be? You know, you're one of the people who is not willing to tell the emperor that he's got no clothes on, because you don't want to be that person, even though it needs to be said. Has that ever been you? Or have you ever found yourself agreeing with someone that you don't really agree with, but you just want them to like you? And so you pretend you agree with them. You may even change your opinion mid-sentence because you figure out that what they want to hear, and, and so you say it, at the hopes that maybe if you agree with them, they will like you. Come on. Ever done that? I bet you have. 
Have you, have you ever busted your tail? Worked hard to be successful at something, maybe at school or work or a job or a promotion, and, and, and you did it not because it's something you wanted to do, it's because it was something that other people in your life wanted you to do. You didn't even want to do it, you didn't even care about it, and yet you did it to try to win over the approval or favor of someone else. You ever done that? Have you ever found yourself wearing clothes? Clothes that you didn't even find comfortable. You weren't even sure you looked good in them. You didn't even like them. They were too expensive for you. But you're wearing clothes that, that you thought might endear you to other people. I know you've done it. Or have you ever found yourself driving a car that you couldn't afford, but you did it because you wanted to, you wanted to say something about yourself. You wanted to try, to try to be pleasing or, or trying to win the approval of people around you, to be impressive to people around you. Have you ever lived a lifestyle that you couldn't afford or you didn't like or you weren't even into, you know, doing, doing stuff that you didn't even care about really? But you're trying to win the approval of some group of people, some, some clique or clique. Stuff you didn't even like. But you're doing it to please people, trying to win the approval of others. See, I've, I've been there. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you've been there. We, we go there all the time. You may not consider yourself a people pleaser, but we all have moments in life where we think too much about the approval of others. And, and, and the great and obvious problem with living your life as a people pleaser, the problem is that your audience keeps changing, right? I mean, even if you could do this well, even if you could meet everyone's demands, your audience just keeps changing. You know, when you're a kid, it's pleasing your parents and your teachers, and then it's pre- pleasing your girlfriend or boyfriend, and then pleasing your spouse and trying to please your kids and trying to please your boss, and, 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 the, and the target keeps moving. You've got all these different people coming in and out of your life who will demand to be pleased if you let them make that demand on you. But not only that, the audience might change in another way. It may not be that the people change. Just people are fickle, right? So you could have the same group of people who one day are demanding this out of you in order for you to please them, and and then the next day they're, they're changing up the criteria. They keep moving the target. They keep moving the bullseye on you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take a look at this. The same people are telling you that it's cool to look like this today, right? Same people are saying it's cool to look like this. They're the same people about 15 years ago were saying it was cool to look like this. Right? Some of you are wondering why I still kind of look like this. I don't, it's a sign I'm getting old, I guess. Right? I mean, they, they just moved the target on you. They said, hey, this is cool. No, 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 no. This is cool. And just when you get it right, they move it on you. See, that's the problem with people pleasing. It, it, it just, it's impossible to do, and you will wear yourself out. You will make everyone unhappy if you allow yourself to be driven by the demands of others. I mean, if you don't believe me, just look at politicians, right? This is why we hate politicians. Because, and maybe hate's too strong for you, but I mean, this is why they frustrate us. Because they're epitome. They are the epitome of people pleasers. They, what do they do? They, 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 they take opinion polls. They see what people want to hear. And they basically say as much as they can about what people want to hear until the opinion polls change. And then they change. Because it's our broken system. It's all about getting elected. You know how that goes. See, living your life people-pleasing or seeking the approval of others, it makes life into a mess. It's no way to live. But do you know where this really creates problems? It really creates problems when we take this people-pleasing mindset, this approval-seeking mindset, into our relationship with God. See, this is what Paul is really mad at at the beginning of this letter. It's that that people have come in and they've started teaching about how to win God's approval, about how to please God, and it's all this people-pleasing stuff 
except they're applying it to God. Now, now maybe for you this sounds weird. You think, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wouldn't that be a good thing? I mean, shouldn't you live your life trying to please God, not people? And I'd say, that depends. What do you have in mind? See, that's what the fight is about here in Galatia. That Paul had come in and preached one message, and we'll dive into that in a minute. But then these other people had come in, and they said, no, 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 you don't understand. If you want to be a pleasing to God, if you want to win God's approval, if you want to be a favorite of God's, here's what you have to do. You have to follow all of God's laws. You have to go through all the ceremonies and rituals. You have to keep all the traditions. You have to do all of the stuff of traditional Judaism. And if you do that really, really, really well, it just may be that God will, at the end of the day, say, he likes you. But Paul, on the other hand, he had lived that life. He had played that game. And he had discovered something else. Take, take a look at what Paul says. Paul says, hey, I, I get it. I get what they're saying to you. And I get that, that, that all of us want to please God. And we think of all the different things we have to do in order to do it. He's like, I, I was there. I used, to, I used to live there. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached, I, I know it's kind of different, but it's not from human origin. I did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And, and if you don't believe me, here's the story of my life. Here's, here's how I can explain to you the only reason I would, have, I would have changed so dramatically is that I didn't just think this up on my own, but Jesus himself appeared to me, and he told me this was true, and that's why I believe it. And so he begins to talk about this change that he underwent. From being a guy who, like a lot of us, believed that he had to do a lot of things in order to please God into preaching a different message. So he says... For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. You heard how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So some of you know my story that, that I was trying my hardest to please God. So much so that I, I, was, I was the lead in persecuting this, this crazy movement called Christianity. Because it was an affront to everything we believe as Hebrew people. So he's saying, hey, I was living that. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. See, Paul's saying, hey, if, if you want to measure your life following the rules, keeping the commandments, doing all of the right stuff, if, if that's how you want to, to try to please God, Paul says, I was doing that. I was a rising star. I was killing it, Paul says. And you can just imagine that there were these, there were these like in every generation, there were these older Jewish people who were watching the young generation grow up and they were just thinking, oh, these kids today, you know, they're, they're, they just don't get it and they don't, they're not zealous and they don't keep our traditions and they don't understand our customs. And, and then they'd look over and they'd go, but you know, there's still guys like Paul. There's, there's guys like Paul, and his name was Saul, so they'd probably call him Saul back in those days. There, there are guys like Saul, and, and man, Paul, he, he, he's a guy who gets it. There's a young man who understands what it means to be a Hebrew. There's a man who, who gets what it means to be pleasing to God. And, and so we don't know where this generation is going, but at least, at least there are people out there like Paul. He was the hope of his people, the rising star. He was, he, he was like, like Sarah Palin in 2007. Remember that? She's like the rising star of the Republican Party. And then, and then she started talking, and that just ended. And they were like, never mind, forget it. But, but see, this was Paul. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a phenom. He was doing it better than anyone. And, and then something happened. Watch. He says, but, but then when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, 
I just, I just love that phrase, alone. I mean, God who, who set me apart, who had a plan for me from the time I was in my mother's womb. I mean, this is true for every human being who's ever lived. God is speaking hopes and dreams and plans over you from the time that you were in your mother's womb. Paul says, God had this, had this crazy plan in mind for me. And when he called me by his grace, when he was pleased. Now, now I pause here for a second, because I love the wordplay here, and I don't want you to miss it. See, Paul... Like these people who are preach, other people were preaching in, in Galatia. Paul was living his life trying to please God. That was the point of his life. I need to know how to please God. But what Paul figured out is that while he was trying to please God, God was pleased to call him by his grace. And I just got to talk about this for a minute because I believe this is so important for every one of us who are, who are sitting here today. That the way you win God's approval... The way that you become pleasing to God isn't by jumping through a bunch of hoops and doing a bunch of stuff. It's not by being a nice person, always using your manners, saying please and thank you, Uh, you know, not using harsh language, not cussing, not raising your voice. It's not the way. It's not by working your tail off to follow all of God's commandments and and, and trying to, to be devoted and faithful and upright. That's good. But that's not the way that you win God's pleasure. It's not through outlandish acts of sacrifice, giving things up, giving huge sums of money. Again, that that stuff can be good, but that's not how you win God's approval. That's not how you find his favor. See, that's what Paul thought, and that's what he lived. But he said, he said, something happened to me. I was trying to please God, but I discovered God was pleased to call me by his grace. If you want to win God's approval... Do you know what you need to do? You just need to respond to that invitation when a God who is pleased to call you by his grace comes calling you. See, the truth is you can't make yourself pleasing to God. It's the wrong question. And, and the reason it's the wrong question is because Jesus has already made you pleasing. And let me tell you how. Jesus himself, the Son of God, was pleased to live a perfect life in your place. And Jesus was pleased Even though it was brutal to go to a cross and to die for the sins of the world, that means your sins and all of the ways that you fall short. He he went to die for all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, so that you wouldn't have to carry those things around anymore. Jesus was pleased to be the peace offering between us and God. Jesus was pleased to remain in a grave forsaken. Jesus was pleased to rise again, bringing us new life. You see, we're out here trying to please God. And meanwhile, there is a God in heaven who is pleased to send his son into the world for us. And it's changed everything. It's changed the central question that God asks of us. See, God doesn't ask us anymore, are you good? If so, then I'll love you. Are you good? If so, then you'll be pleasing to me. Are you upright? Are you moral? Are you righteous? That's not God's question anymore. God's primary question for us is not, are you good? His question is, are you mine? You got that? It's not, are you good? It's, are you mine? Not, are you good? It's, are you mine? We got some moms in the room today. And we've got some dads in the room today. And we've got people who don't even have kids, but you've got kids in your life that you love. Let me just ask you a question. Do you love those kids because they're good? Or because they're yours? See, there's a reason that God loves you. There's a reason that God is pleased with you. But it's not 
because you're good. It's not because you have your act together. It's not because you are righteous and zealous and intense for him. He loves you because you're his. He loves you on account of Christ and what Christ has given you in your baptism. See, this is what Paul discovered, and and it was totally life-changing for him. So so he understood how people could fall under the spell of this other teaching, because that's what he lived for a long time. This idea that you've not just got to keep people happy, but you've got to keep God happy. But but then things change, and he goes on, and he says, so, you know, I was trying to please God, and, and then God, who was pleased, called me by his grace, and he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Not just his son to me, but, but he revealed his son in me. He, he put him in me and revealed him to others through me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, when that happened, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, which is big for Paul, you know. He's not asking for counsel. He's not trying to be a people pleaser here. He said, I did not go up to Jerusalem where all the head honchos of the church lived and I didn't try to endear myself to them. No. He said, I didn't do that. He said, instead, I, I went off on my own and studied, and then at the end, he comes back around and says this. He says, those people in Jerusalem, everyone else, they didn't know what was going on. They only heard a rumor, and the rumor was that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. See, Paul says, at the end of the day, I discovered something so powerful, so life-changing, it changed the whole way that I view uh, my, my, my journey with God, the, the way that I get approval. And friends, today, I, I think we need this too. Because I think too many of us in this room sit here today believing that the burden is on us to keep God's favor on us. To keep God pleased with us. To, to, to win over his favor, to keep his favor, not to mess up so bad that we lose his favor. And the truth is, the truth of the gospel that Paul was preaching the gospel that came into conflict with what these other people were preaching is, is this truth that God approves of you on account of what Jesus has done because he loves you, because you're his. And see, when you know that, when you take hold of that, it will set you free from so many destructive tendencies in your life. It means freedom, namely, in four ways. And I'm going to go through these quick. You might want to take a note. First, it's freedom from trying to be perfect. Now, I don't know if there are any other perfectionists in the room. You don't have to raise your hand because you wouldn't do it right, right? You wouldn't get it up to the right thing. So. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I live here too often trying to be perfect, just imagining that, that my worth, my value, my identity, as we talked in the last series, my standing with God depends on my perfection. I know the gospel. I know that Jesus sets me free. There's this nagging perfectionism that keeps coming back to me that just says, hey, but, 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 but maybe you've got to do something too. Or, or maybe even though God loves you because you're his and because you belong to Christ and because you're baptized, maybe, maybe you can mess that up. See, when you really take hold of the fact that, that God loves you, he approves of you, he is pleased with you, because you're his and for no other reason other than that's who he is and that's what he does and that's what Jesus has given to you, then it can, it can begin to set you free from this. I'm finding this to be true in my life. It's a long process, but it is happening. Now, some of you are smarter than I am, and you realize that, that you are not perfect, and you've owned that. But you've also realized something else. You realize that even though you know you're not perfect, that people around you might not be catching on so quickly. And so this is also freedom from having to fake it. Right? I know a lot of us do this. We fake it. We pretend with our kids, you know, like, hey, 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 you know, like, I, I may not be perfect, and I know that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this up for as long as I can with my kids. Make them believe that, that I'm perfect. Well, this will set you free. When you know that you are approved by God, it'll keep you from faking it. 
It keeps you from having to care about the approval of others. I mean, can you imagine that kind of freedom? And to me, this, this makes so much sense, and, and it's such a powerful idea. It's hard to live out, but, but I just think you need to hold on to it today. And, and just hear this, because this is what changed Paul's life. If, if God is, is pleased with you, if God approves of you, then does it matter what anyone else in the world thinks of you? <laughs> I mean, if God has said, you, you, are, you are mine, and I love you, and I don't condemn you, does it matter if anyone else is hating on you? We're going to talk about that next week, by the way. Does it matter? Of course not. See, this was transformative for Paul. This is what changed his whole life. And I, I want to go to another, another letter for a minute. It's a letter called Philippians. And I hate to jump into another letter, but, but in Galatians, Paul doesn't go deep enough. But in Philippians, he does. And he describes how, how this, this, this realization of what God would give him through Christ, how it, how it flipped his whole life upside down and, and set him free from having to win the approval of others. Here's what he says in Philippians. He says, hey, if someone thinks they have reasons... To put confidence in the flesh. You know, like if, if you're sitting here today and you're going, hey, Dion, maybe you need God's grace because you're a loser. But for me, you know, I've got my act together and, you know, I, I think I, I can make a pretty compelling case for why I should be pleasing to God on my own merits. If that's you today, Paul says, let, let me challenge you. I, I want to take you on head to head. Mano y mano, okay? He says, if you've got reasons for confidence, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like you're supposed to be of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, of the tribe of Benjamin, a celebrated tribe. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Can you match that, Paul says? In regard to the law, knowing my Bible, in other words, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. I wasn't just a student of the law. I knew every word. I studied it. I poured myself into it. I knew it better than all of you. He says, as for zeal, as being zealous for God, on fire for God. I was so on fire for God that I persecuted the church. I, I, I made it my, my, my mission in life to stomp out this Christian movement because it was, it was heresy, Paul says. Try to top that kind of zeal. As for righteousness based on, on living out the commandments, I was faultless. Now, I don't think Paul believed he was sinless, but he knew that he was doing a really good job better than most. So he says, hey, those are all my credentials. If anyone could be pleasing to God, it was me. But... Whatever were gains to me back then, whatever I was proud of back then, whatever I looked to for my value back then, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It doesn't compare to what I have in Christ. What is more, I consider everything, not just that stuff, but everything in my life, everything in the world, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul says, man, when, when you know Jesus and when you know what he alone can give to you, nothing else in life matters. He goes on, he says, I consider all that other stuff garbage. And, and this is actually a, a softer word. It's, it's actually crap or something even stronger that I won't say for you today. I consider all that garbage so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I, I love these words. Be found in him. Not have Christ be found in me. He doesn't live in me, but, but I find myself in him. Paul says, man, th this set me free from having to live my life trying to please God and please others. There was freedom when I realized that there is a God in heaven who is pleased to call me by his grace to set his affection on me. And what that enabled Paul to do is the fourth kind of freedom I want to talk about. It's, it's the freedom to be real. The freedom to be real. Now for some of you, it's been a very long time since you've been able to be real. You'd have to go back to when you were six years old to think of the last time you were comfortable with being real. But doesn't it sound good 
Isn't that attractive? Don't you wish you could be real? This summer when you're sitting out at the pool, don't you wish you could be sitting out at the pool, not sucking it in, but just let it out, right? <laughs> go to the grocery store. Don't worry about putting your makeup on first or what your hair looks like. Just, just go and be real. You know, take me or leave me. Don't you wish you could say what you really think to your boss or to your spouse? Not necessarily be mean. Just, just say what you really think. Don't you wish you could be real like that? Don't you wish in life that, that you, could, you, could, you could just be real and, and you could stop trying to, to compete against everyone else, trying, stop trying to be the best employee or the, or the world's best mom or the world's best dad? I mean, moms, I'm just going to speak to you today. Because you break your neck trying to be the world's best mom, trying to you know, do the most elaborate birthday parties, the, the party to end all parties and trying to do the, the best crafts for class, and trying to be the best volunteer, and, and you try to write, you know, the best care packages to your kid at college, and, and, and you feel this, this, this pressure to be the best, the best, to beat all the other moms. That, that's not what your kids want from you. You're not the world's best mom. They don't love you because they think you are. They love you because you're their mom, right? They love you because you are theirs. That's all they need. You can be real, moms. You don't have to be picture perfect. None of us have to be picture perfect. We don't have to present this this airbrushed picture, this Photoshop picture of life anymore. Because when you know that that God approves of you, that he is pleased with you on account of, of who he is, on account of what Jesus has done, on account of the fact that you belong to him, it will set you free to be real. See, I, I love what Paul says again. I mean, this is at the end of uh, Galatians where he looked at it. Um, but, but he ended up his, his speech about his life this way, and he just told all these unflattering details about himself. He was like, hey, I was persecuting the church. I was on the wrong side of this thing. And he just lets it all out there. He goes, look, I'm not, I'm not going to explain this away. I'm just going to let the ugly reality of my life be seen. And yet this is, what, this is what the reaction was from people when they heard that. They said, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. I mean, that sounds like an indictment, but what happened was they praised God because of me. See, when you know where you stand with God, when you know how to get your approval, it will change your life. Not only will it change your life and bring you freedom, but when you start living out your real life, when you start living under grace, when you start living as one who is, who, is, who, is, who is so confident and sure that God loves you and that he is pleased with you on account of Christ, then even when people see the ugly details of your life, they will praise God because of the way that God works through your life. That's where we've got to stop today in the letter. We will continue the letter next week, but let me pray for us right now.